0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Crowdlinker Fireside Chat. I'm Aram Malkumuf, the host. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, I'm interviewing well-known product and innovation leaders who are working on big industry disruptive problems from within their organizations. The guests that we have on our show have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share about building quality digital products, staying agile, and most importantly, fostering an innovation mindset. This is season two, episode number 10, and I'm here with Navaya Rahani Gupta, to chat about her journey through COVID, becoming an adaptable product leader, working in her different uh, industry experience, building products in vertical SaaS companies, and defining what a CPO (Chief Product Officer) is and does. Uh, Navaya is the Chief Product Officer at Peak.com. Uh, right now, she's responsible for the scaling of the platform known as the Shopify for the $1 trillion experiences market. Uh, Peak uh, helps consumers book fun activities such as boat rentals and cooking classes and provides experience operators with uh, powerful software tools to grow their businesses. Uh, prior to Peak, uh, she built new business lines at style seat the world's largest marketplace for beauty services that has fueled billions of dollars in beauty services and she has also managed large-scale products at companies like uber disney and goldman sachs she's a seasoned product executive who loves to build and grow products and high-performing teams and she's an actively sought mentor for women and students to accelerate their careers in technology so that's a great background. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Navai. I really appreciate your time. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me.
0: Cool. So I'll start off with an a introductory question, if you mind telling us um, a little bit about your, yourself, kind of what you're currently doing now at Peak and uh, also where you're based.
1: Yeah, so I'm based in San Francisco, foggy San Francisco, I should say. Um, I live here with my two little kids. Um, I think you did a good job covering my background. So the only thing I would add is I grew up in India in a family full of doctors. Everybody in my family is a doctor. We lived in a residential campus of doctors. Uh, But I took the non-conventional route of uh, going towards technology. I became an engineer uh, because I always knew that technology could change lives. I started programming when I was 15 years old, um, and that's what drew drew me to engineering. Um, And very quickly in my engineering career, I found my love for product and never looked back. So through this whole career of product, as you you mentioned, I've uh, been in many different companies of different sizes, different verticals, and today I'm the CPO of PEAK, and I'm responsible for product management, design, and product analytics at the company.
0: Okay, cool. Well, um, I'm really excited to uh, go through some of our questions that we have here today. Uh, The first one I'm going to start off with is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, around your experience navigating through the whole COVID pandemic. Um, I mean, as we all know, uh, the pandemic impacted, you know, millions of businesses uh, worldwide. But in your case specifically, or with Peak specifically, you know, you guys went from potentially millions in revenue to, you know, zero or like, you know. A smaller amount uh, when COVID first hit. Um, can you walk us through, you know, that experience that you went through? Uh, what were you thinking as a business at the time, and uh, as well as a product leader in terms of navigating through that crisis?
1: Yeah. So this is March two thousand and twenty. Uh, everybody calls that time unprecedented because it truly was. You know, we were our, our business was up and to the right. We're doing millions of dollars, and suddenly that week, where the world shut down, travel shut down, we saw our revenue drop to zero. Right, so it was. It was. Uh, I've been through you know recessions in the past. I used to work on Wall Street, uh, but this was truly unprecedented. So as a business, our focus was a sustainability, right? And then as a product leader, my biggest focus was our customers. So as soon as um, this happened, I reached out to as many people as I can in our customer base. I picked up the phone, talked to our customers. My team did exactly that. I put a pause on our all our roadmap initiatives because. Everything had to be uh, thought through from the lens of the pandemic. And then, based on these conversations, what I did was I broke out our roadmap into three different stages. The first one was survival how do we help our customers survive the pandemic? What is everything that we can do um, to help our customers during that lockdown? The second was the recovery stage. So, we knew that at some point the lockdown Will be lifted, and we wanted to be best prepared to help our customers and even differentiate during the crisis. And then the third one was steady stage and new normal, you know. And we're we're continuing to invest there. So in the first one, on the survival, uh, what we did was we did a company level brainstorm. Everybody in our company is super super customer centric. So we did a company level brainstorm to say what could what could product do to help our customers in, in this situation, and tons of great ideas came around here specifically to help our operators retain their revenue because they were getting inundated with phone calls with customers trying to cancel their tours. So in that period, we built, I think, like 10 features in two months. For example, when a customer calls to book, instead of... um, canceling the booking, give them a store credit so that you're able to retain that revenue. So multiple things around the the survival was our big focus. And then recovery, uh, when things started to uh, reopen, we wanted to arm our operators with ways to build confidence. So what are the ways that you can build confidence for that the experiences are safe? So examples would be um, signing your waivers through an email so that you don't have to have that interaction, Um, setting up kiosks um, and so forth forth and then on the new normal the big focus has been around uh, continuing to reduce customer anxiety and to double down on the surge in the travel that we're seeing right so an example would be contactless payments but also adapting to the the changing customer needs
0: mm-hmm. and so with uh... What did you see happen in the business when you changed your roadmap? You, you you became very dynamic and fluid in terms of what's happening in the market. I really love the fact that you were very you're a very customer centric organization, and so the fact that you really focus on your operators because uh, they're they're really being impacted with no growth. Um, so I, I think my question is: with all the things that you've you adopted, did you rebound? Like did you? Did you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Did revenue start going back up? Or (laughs) uh, did, did you create like maybe new offerings that people could do without traveling?
1: Yeah. So this was, uh, we started in March, 2020. And by summer, what we saw was a few things happened. Our our operators were able to pivot. Some of them were able to offer virtual experiences. So that was a new line of business that we, uh, we used to help them with. And then the other thing was, um, we started to see company, uh, the cities reopen and customers just getting tired of being at home and looking for safe experiences. So as a platform, we go across, you know, 40 different verticals, but we also have had a big focus around rentals. So our customers started to book boat rentals and do outdoor safe experiences like drive through pumpkin patches. And our business just went up to the right again. We had our biggest summer ever as a company last year. So we're one of the very few travel companies that thrived during the pandemic. And obviously this year with the recovery of travel, where the business has been doing exceptionally well.
0: Fantastic. That's great to hear. I always love these success stories. A lot of companies I've I've read about, came across that didn't have that agility. Um, so actually, a good segue to my next question I have for you uh, is around, how, you know, how do you stay adaptive as a product leader? Um, so like, what does that mean for you as a leader in your organization, being able to adapt to uh, micro, macro factors um, and how does that impact your decision making? Um, maybe within your team, maybe within your strategies, within your uh, leadership team, what, what would you say is like some of the key, th- key, f- key attributes in order to be a successful adaptable product leader?
1: Yeah. So I strongly believe that adaptability is a trait that differentiates a good product leader from a great product leader. And to me, you know, the expectation for product leaders is hey, you have to be super strategic, mission driven, but also you're required to know the details. You know you need to be able to ask the right questions, to be able to uncover problems before they happen. You need to you need to give autonomy to all your teams to be able to work independently but still still at the executive table represent their decisions. You you need to be able to know the what, why, and how behind your team's decisions. So that to me is an important skill to have as a product leader. And to me, adaptability is the ability to maintain the right focus and the right horizon in every situation. And and that's something that I look for when when I'm looking, when I'm hiring, and something that I consciously pay attention to in in my day-to-day work as well
0: and um you mentioned horizons so how do you like foresee your product horizons out a quarter at a time
1: yeah so I would say that as product leaders, we we you know we're all problem solvers, and it's easy to get into the details. And the default stage is a more of a zoomed in state, you know. And so you have to create room to zoom out because, as a natural default state, you'll be you'll be looking at the problems in hand. So the way I do that is I myself um, make time on my calendar for um, zoomed out activities, and um, I'm a big believer that you're, the the way you manage your time is, you know, is is going to dictate who you become. So I consciously make time to think about the strategic direction of the product, where our company is going, how product can play a big role on that, and define strategic initiatives for myself and for my team that are two quarters out, three quarters out, so that we're maintaining that forward-looking lens.
0: Mm-hmm. And how much time do you spend on a weekly basis between zoomed in? conversation so like you know shorter term versus zoom out yeah h- longer term horizon yes
1: yeah, so I'd say at least a third of my time is um, on zoomed out strategic initiatives um, a third is zoomed in but driving alignment in the company uh, across teams within within the product team and then a third is around people so um, people hmm. management hiring the team and so forth
0: and uh, a question about hiring because uh... You know, I always like asking this question, what do CPOs look for? Um, What are some important uh, attributes or traits that you look for in your product team when you're hiring them?
1: So, um, I mentioned adaptability, and I, I specifically screen for that. Um, and then the second one is, uh, is a high threshold for crazy. You know, as a startup, things are always evolving and changing. So, I, I typically look, look into the craziest situations people have been into, because I believe that if you expose yourself to more and more challenges, it continues to expand your horizon for crazy and set you up for success in the future.
0: Okay, cool. And talking about crazy and experience, um, I know you have a uh, a lot of experience in different industries. So um, the question I want to, the next kind of maybe set set of questions I want to go through is with your experience that you have working in different companies and different niches. You know, Uber, Disney. um, You know, which are more maybe finance or mobile games, transportation, beauty. You know, I think that was your previous one. Uh, what are some of the similarities and some of the differences uh, between being a product leader and building products in those markets?
1: Yeah. So for those who are not familiar with these names, uh, in, my, in my whole career, I've uh, built products for many different types of customers. So at Goldman, it was very much towards high net worth clients, people who invested more than $25 million in the company. Um, at Disney, it was more towards uh, mobile gaming enthusiasts for uh, people who are Disney fans um, at uber I built products for drivers but also developers to create unique experiences around uber um, and and for StyleSeat, seat it was I built products for stylists um, and then also customers who are looking to book beauty experiences and now at, in peak uh, travel operators and and customers looking to book fun things to do so very very different types of companies uh, the differences as you can see they're they they the products had different product market fit, um, different customer market dynamics, different unique advantages that are specific to the company, and even different pace of innovations, you know, because of the size of the companies that that they were. Um, in terms of similarities, the one common thing across all these companies is customer centricity. And I go back to that because I I, I I screen for that when I'm figuring out what problem to look for next, right? And the commonality here is customer centricity. And what does customer centricity mean? It's the aspect of the culture that's visible in terms of what people say and do. All these companies had narratives that revolve around the customer. Customers actually had a seat at the table. I used to work at a company where we would be sitting and having a conversation and there would be a seat and for the customer. And we would say, what would the customer say? Um, our team... That. <laughs> our 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 product team never writes a single piece of code until we have talked to customers um, all these companies have you know they hire for customer centricity, their performance reviews and their compensation are all based around customer goals so that's been the, that's been the similarity across all these companies, which has made it a lot of fun um, and that truly is the ability to operationalize customer empathy because to me that sets the foundation for product strategy
0: very interesting i i I love that aspect of customer centricity about having an actual physical seat. I uh, I'm gonna use that in some of our material. Um, with that being said, what, what advice would you give to our listeners um, who are, you know, upcoming product leaders who are open to moving around into different verticals or into different niches so that they're not just maybe pigeonholed in terms of like one industry that they're only working in, like in banking? How... What advice would you give them in terms of being able to move around into other, other realms of product?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I would say is do your homework and really, really convince yourself that you're passionate about that industry and, and the problems there, right? It's, it's easy to say, I'm a generalist and I don't care which industry I'm going to be in, but that's going to become your life for, for, for a big part. So do your homework, understand the industry dynamics, inter- understand the types of problems that are specific to the industry before you go all in. Once you've convinced yourself and you're actually there, the first 30, days in your job, talk less and listen more, right? Don't try to overgeneralize by thinking that you've seen that problem before in another industry or another company and you get it. You know, like really, really don't assume that you get it. Don't overgeneralize there. Um, and, I, and I do that even now um, as a CPO. I spend every quarter what I do is a listening tour because I want to continue to reinforce my understanding of the of the market and my customers. So that's the second one, which is you know listen, listen. And then the third would be um, after you know you've convinced yourself, you've done all the listening, you have to zoom out and you have to think about what are the problems in this industry and then what are the learnings from other industries that you can bring in and what I've seen is that people get that order wrong they start to bring in ideas from other industry before really doing their uh, listening and to me that doesn't set them up for success
0: um, is there any um, is there any uh, uh, strategy you deploy I mean you mentioned a couple like you know coming in and listening not trying to bring in your ideas and whatnot from your prior experiences but Is there some sort of like maybe first few weeks audit that you do as like a CPO coming into a new company? What do you look for? Like, What are those like maybe uh, metrics uh, that you uh, um, analyze in order to see kind of where the business is at or maybe with the leadership team? What kind of questions maybe do you ask the leadership team in terms of like, where do you see this business going? Where are you stuck? Where are you concerned kind of thing?
1: Yeah, so, um, and this goes back to the point about convincing yourself, right? So how do you convince yourself as as a CPO um, before you go into that industry? So I would say the biggest one is um, the growth potential of the company. How is it set up for success? So where is it now? And how is the continent, how, and where does it wanna get to, right? And um, having worked in many different companies that have different pace of innovation, at Uber we used to say growth at all costs, you have to understand what is the, what is the default Pace of the company, and is that is that aligned with how fast you want to move? Right, okay. um, and to me that becomes a big mismatch um, sometimes. Where you 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 know you, you're, you spend a com- you spend about two or three months in a company, and you realize that the company is too fast or too slow. So that's the first thing to look into, outside of doing your your regular diligence on the, on the business. You know you need to get a sense of the market opportunity. You need to get an understand of the revenue, the competition, the market dynamics, and so forth.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask a question about um, your roles again in the past because there is a relation there. So one commonality we found was that in your last three roles, uh, they were all in, in like the vertical SaaS space. Um, you know, Firstly, maybe for the audience, how would you go about describing what vertical SaaS is? Um, and what is it that maybe the audience doesn't know about it that you want to share?
1: Yeah. So taking a step back, what is that? So in SAS came up in the 1960s and it's a business model where customers pay for software, right? So that's, that's SaaS. What uh, commonly people think about SAS is horizontal SaaS, So a company like Salesforce that is solving CRM needs across many, many different types of industries. But over the last several years, what you what we're seeing is an increase in vertical SaaS, and vertical SaaS is companies that are solving the problems for a specific industry, really, really well. So I'll give you an example of um, the driver app that I worked on at Uber. The driver app at that time, uh, you know, before before I started working on it, it used to be a button that would that would allow drivers to just say accept or reject. But I was part of the team that set the vision for the next next big version of driver app and as we were working on it our our dream there was for to tell the drivers where is the place to go to depending on our prediction of demand our prediction on you know the time of the time of the day or the day of the week and that to me is a vertical solution that's something that google maps cannot solve right google maps can tell you where it's busy but it's you know where where but it it won't tell you where drivers are going to be able to go to maximize their profitability and the same sort of problems have translated in all the different types of companies I've worked in and in, in beauty and in travel as well
0: so really kind of like zoning in and focusing on everything that benefits all the potential uh user personas yeah in terms of uh from like, even I think now with peak, it's like everybody from the operators all the way to the people booking the experiences, right?
1: Yeah, and for for travel, I'll give you an example of a very specific, you know, a a travel problem. So when you think about a bus and a a bus tour, you would expect that an online booking solution would be able to let customers book book a bus tour at any time, right, but where the vertical SaaS play comes in is you want to understand the dynamics that happen in the tours and activity company in that bus operator. The bus operator needs to install guides, right? And you want to be able to drive profitability for that tour. What you don't want is a bus is running empty with just one person. So how do you set online booking cutoffs to be able to make every tour profitable? And that, again, is a vertical SaaS play and something that any online booking solution that goes horizontally would not know about.
0: And, um, what have you what have you learned about building products in a vertical saas space from all your prior experiences like what is like maybe like the one novel thing that you you've really seen uh, surface every time
1: Um, it goes back to customers, you know, and it goes back to um, knowing your customers at a deep, deep level. So at every company that I've been, the best ideas, the best innovations have happened when me or my team have sat next to a customer and actually seen what they do on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, it's not sufficient to read um, customer research notes uh, that, you know, where you can't outsource something like that. You really have to in the shoes of the of the of your customers. So the way we do that is we do you know partner days where our entire engineering team gets to visit um, an operator. And during COVID we haven't been able to do that, so we actually do a video conference where we get a whole tour of uh, of our operators and see how Peak is solving their problem. So that I would say is the commonality across all the vertical SaaS companies that you have to go back focus on the industry, but you have to spend time with your customers to be able to bring the industry forward through innovations.
0: When it comes to um, really focusing on the customers, as well as, you know, being a product leader, trying to show success to your team or to your leadership team. This is always a tough question. I think uh, I ask because it's it's hard to navigate this um, response. And I always like asking it. So I'm going to ask you. So it is, how do you show ROI, like return on investment as a product leader? Um, is it, do you focus it towards customer-centric um, deliverables or results? How much of it is tied to maybe your own personal KPIs, your team's KPIs? Is it all unified towards one objective? What what, what would you say to that as a as a product leader in your company?
1: yeah so to do to be able to make the right decisions that are um, demonstrating the maximum roi i i always Think ahead and say if if I'm if I'm preparing uh, a look back next quarter, what do I have to show for myself and for my team, right? So always start there, um, and then you know it's your but product your KPIs could change. You could put any KPI every quarter and say, look, that's gone up, you know that's success. But it's not good enough to show uh, graphs going up to the right if they're not tied to your company level goals, right? So mm-hmm. it's important to start with the company goals. So when I when I create the, the product strategy, you know, there are multiple things product can do. You can introduce delight. You can help with acquisition. You can help with retention. You could rebuild your tech stack. But all of that has has to tie into company-level goals. So that, to me, is how you demonstrate ROI. You have to start with the company goals and say, here is how we as a product team are, are making an impact there. Um, the last thing I would say here is, you know, a lot of times when product leaders are, are fighting for um, a particular initiative and saying, this is the ROI, it's important in that conversation to not only talk about what you're doing and how that will impact the ROI, but also talk about trade-offs. And this is a big miss um, that people don't talk about. You have to say, I'm going to do w- this one thing, but here are the 10 things that I want to be doing and driving clarity on why that one thing is more important than the other others and getting alignment on that that. that is is
0: crucial very interesting no i i uh, i really like that trade-off component um because obviously if you're going to be doing something else it's going to be compromising some other initiatives or product uh, obligations um on that how how does your team or how do you go about navigating through those tough decisions um in terms of what you do like where do you turn for advice where does your team turn to support I guess it's obviously you maybe but like maybe uh any other kind of um direction or guidelines that you give them
1: yeah. So um, customers, again, uh, you know, and understanding what you're doing and how, how you're impacting their lives. Um, my my team talks to as many people as possible. I always, whenever I start uh, talk to my company, I always say feedback is a gift, right? So I welcome uh, feedback from the company and my my team, when they have a question, the first thing they would do is talk to customers and talk to those partner facing company, customer facing teams. For me, myself, uh, when I'm stuck, I uh, I take a pause. I go for a walk, and then I make a list of people who I can call. You know, and I've been fortunate to have um, great mentors through my career. I reach out to them on a regular basis. Um, my fellow CPO friends in different companies—they're the people who I pick up the phone and call, and then you know, it, it, I utilize the entire executive product network um, to be able to get insights from my peers.
0: Oh wow, fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, having a network to lean on, I think, is uh is a goldmine of uh of support. So that's fantastic. Um if you were to give yourself maybe advice uh that you know now to an earlier version of yourself, what what would you say?
1: Yeah, so we talked about networking and the gold mine. So I would, that would actually be the advice that I would give to myself when I was, you know, when I was very early on in my career. I would get, um, you know, advice saying, "Hey, you should network more." And to me, it just didn't seem very natural. I would show up. Um, I used to be in New York City. I would show up in New York City in those evening uh, networking events. It just didn't feel right, and it felt like very uncomfortable and it felt like the right thing to do because you know that's how you advance your career and over time what I have repositioned networking in my mind is not about showing up um, to look for what's, what is there for yourself, but to actually say, how can I help others? Mm-hmm. And to me that comes more naturally. And now when I think about networking, it's, it's about how can I help other people and you know, the, world, the world's a small place and any good that you do can, can, can be useful later on. And that's how I've been able to build my network over time and have a group of people that I can call because at some point I've helped them in the past.
0: Fantastic. That's something that's great advice. Um, networking is, is a lot of effort. uh, been there, done that, but you never really know how it could help you longer term. So that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, just a couple more questions he, here, Navaya. Um, I wanted to talk more about, you know, what is this, what does a CPO do? So, you know, I think uh, there's different, uh, people who think different, um, reasons of what a cpo does their responsibilities their roles but you've done it now a couple times so in your in your lens in your perspective what is what is the real role of a cpo
1: yeah. So, a CPO is a C-level product executive that's responsible for making decisions at a company level, not just at the product or portfolio level, and that's what differentiates a VP from a from a CPO. As a CPO, you need to understand the end-to-end business. So, when you're working with your peers in different, um, in different departments, you need to understand what they do and how does that impact the overall company. So, that full understanding of how different departments are working helps you make decisions decisions at the company level and drive growth and profitability for the company and also your customers. Um, Another thing that's really important for as a CPO is to fully understand your shareholder metrics? What are you talking to your shareholders about? What are the market and the customer dynamics? What are the unique advantages that you can create as a product to drive growth and profitability of the company? And that, to me, those types of questions are, are what a CPO spends time on, um, whereas a VP is somebody who's always thinking about product and product success, mm-hmm. not just not just company-level problems.
0: I say So a VP, in your eyes, is somebody who's just more in it, like day-to-day, really focused on every output that comes out, whereas the CPO is like broader. It covers the whole business. Yeah, You're, right you're
1: making decisions at the company level, not just at the product level.
0: Perfect. Okay. Um, with what you know now, is there anything in particular that you, you wish you learned earlier in your journey to becoming a more successful CPO?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as product leaders, we we're very cross-functional. We're always working with many different teams. We're speaking their languages. And I thought I could do that, you know, and on my path to CPO, I learned that it's not just enough to speak the language of your, um, your stakeholders. It's very important to be able to, to step yourself out of product and say, why does that matter? You know and you know, when i'm talking to an investor i could go on and on about how amazing our product is but why does that matter to an investor you know when i'm talking to our sales team or an operations team you have to put yourself in their shoes and say so what right and really stepping out of your your product your dream product world you know and and putting yourself in in the shoes of the other teams and other other shareholders investors is is a skill that i had to learn over time
0: uh, with that scale of um uh being able to sell to like investors and shareholders and you know, stakeholders in the company how important is it for you to articulate or communicate like the product roadmap like Is that something that investors really care about that you've seen that they want to know where their business is going and like, how do you really kind of portray that successfully?
1: Yeah, all the time, you know. and um, when it comes to product roadmap, I'm the person who has to stand up and give that answer, a convincing answer, and I would say that uh, over the years, I have you know six or seven different ways that I could represent the, the roadmap, and it continues to evolve, but really the question that you uh, have to answer before you start talking about the roadmap is the granularity that you want to get into, right? What's the story that you're trying to tell? A product roadmap is not a set of initiatives that you just want to bombard the person listening with is, but you want to understand is what's the key message that you want to portray. And the key message is your product strategy and the level of granularity that you get into really depends on the level of interest um, that the person has.
0: Okay. So modifying your kind of story, depending on who you're talking to in a way. Awesome, awesome. Um, last question I have for you is, and you maybe touched upon it a, a bit earlier, but what, what do you look, um, how do you spot the next, the next you? Um, what do you look for in those candidates aside from the diversity part? And uh, is there any specific personal traits that maybe you want to identify or that you look for when hiring?
1: Yeah, um, so it would be intellectual curiosity. I I specifically look for people who are um, unhappy with the way, unhappy taking things the way they are, right? And if, if you give them a project, they'll leave it in a much better place and they'll identify all the ways to make things better. Uh, that to me is, is, is an exceptional quality and that sets people up um, for success. Um, the examples that I've seen here are people who didn't even know that they wanted to do product, right? And I started to um, talk to them, and the way I identified those traits is they were unhappy with the way things were, and they wanted to just leave things better. So, to me, intellectual curiosity and the and the passion to always find ways to make things better is is the most important skill here.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, I've I actually just did a recording recently with another with another person and their background was uh in anthropology do you think that um that's an important kind of factor for people who want to go into product should know like the human psychology behaviors
1: yeah i mean that to me uh, you know product is technology and anthropology together Right, Mm -hmm. so you have to understand the people aspect and you have to be able to understand your customers and the the impact that your product is making, not just on their day-to-day, but in their lives in general. So I'm a big fan of of recruiting people from that background.
0: Awesome, awesome, okay, great. I think I got through all my questions I wanted to ask you today, Navaya. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure having you on our show, so I appreciate it. And for everybody listening, uh, tune in next time to get more insights from other product innovation leaders uh, in various industries.